Today on Ag News Daily. We've seen some commercial signs. We've seen the DEES July, DEES 2021, July 2022 forward curve in corn. So I've seen its carry strength in a little bit. Good afternoon and happy Market Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I think I might have some news that will make you a little bit jealous. Okay, Ashton, let's hear it. It is currently 72 degrees here in Lubbock. I am not jealous, actually, because it's not a whole lot warmer here in Iowa. There's actually a little bit of a cooler front sleeping through today. All right, all right. Then I won't kind of, you know, rub it in your face completely. But I was honestly shocked when I stepped outside today. It is a little bit overcast. I don't think that we're expecting any rain, however, which is kind of a bummer. Well, we did get a little bit of rain earlier this weekend, Saturday night into Sunday morning, a little bit of rain again Sunday morning yesterday, but I can't tell you exactly how much rain we got because our rain gauge flew off during the rainstorm yesterday. So I'm just going to guesstimate we probably got seven tenths of an inch to maybe an inch. I mean, it was pretty wet here, but we did have a hot and humid day yesterday and it cleared off most of that rain. So we definitely could use a few more rains at this point. And I know we're going to be talking rain later this week. I think we're going to have Ed Valley on if I'm not mistaken, Ashton. So we'll be getting a little weather update. We certainly will be. But before we get to the weather update, Delaney, I have a small update coming from Colorado. In a 7-0 decision, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled earlier today that the state title board incorrectly gave a green light to Initiative 16, an unprecedented measure that will criminalize historic farming and ranching practices across Colorado. And I don't remember if we've ever really talked about Initiative 16, but one of the uh, key ballot initiatives that would go into effect with Initiative 16, um, it would criminalize farmers, ranchers, and vets who use accepted animal husbandry practices to care for animals. Um, It would change state statutory language to define common animal care practices as cruelty to animals. It bans slaughter for animals that have lived less than 25% of their natural lifespan. And the list goes on. So, I mean, this could, or this initiative would have potentially destroyed $5 billion of Colorado's livestock industry. So it was potentially dangerous to the ag community. The title board now must decide if a proposed initiative consists of just one subject and if it does set a fair and accurate ballot title. The court held that Initiative 16 contained multiple subjects and given its complexity could mislead voters when they cast their ballots. The court vacated the title and remained to the board with instructions to return the initiative to its proponents for lack of jurisdiction because the single subject requirement was not satisfied. So I guess that is some good news for our ag producers out in Colorado. Yeah, it seems like they've been dealing a lot of well, dealing with a lot of this stuff lately, Ashton. It certainly sounds that way, but just one move of many, I think, that needs to kind of be made when it comes to state legislation. And I mean, not just in Colorado, there's a couple of things that I think our producers are going to be battling this year. So hopefully we can all come out good in the end. Well, and speaking of some state case the Iowa Supreme Court has rejected a legal effort by environmental groups to force the state to adopt mandatory measures to protect the Raccoon River watershed. 
So essentially, there's a few factors, I think, playing out here in this one. Uh, back a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago now, we had, of course, the Des Moines Waterworks lawsuit that filed against uh, four different counties in the state of Iowa, north of Des Moines, saying that farm and farm waste north of Des Moines was tainting the Des Moines drinking water. Well, now we've got this new case, of course, that was officially rejected by the Supreme Court, uh, saying that they, the state does not have to adopt mandatory measures to protect the raccoon watershed, which is a source of drinking water here for folks in Des Moines, about half a million Iowans to be more specific. But I think this is really coming to light now because I think uh, maybe about a week or two ago, Des Moines went into actually a water emergency, state of water emergency, where the municipality of Des Moines is actually in a water shortage due to, of course, the lack of rainfall that we've been having so far this year. But in regards to this case in particular, Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement and Food and Water Watch, two, two separate groups there, but Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement is, of course, a pretty right or left-winged extremist group that does not like animal agriculture or agriculture really in general. But they essentially filed this lawsuit and the courts found that they did not have legal standing to pursue their claims and that their attempt to, quote, repurpose the historically narrow public trust doctrine to solve a complex environmental problem presents a non-justiciable political question. So essentially what it sounded like here was we saw some of these extremist groups once again trying to push forward their policy. And thankfully, we did not see that uh, hold true. But Iowa usually is, especially when it comes to waterways, water passage, nutrient re- Reduction strategies, et cetera. Waters, uh, Iowa is usually a leader in this arena. So I'm hoping that by moving this one forward or not forward, I should say, we see other states follow suit. Well, Delaney, for this next piece of news, I am taking it down to Brazil as it is set to propose a new law to track cattle suppliers that sell animals to meat producers like JBS as ranching is a key driver of deforestation. I think this has been a topic that we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast, but now it's actually coming to fruition. In fact, in an online event earlier today, Agriculture Minister Teresa Cristina Diaz told a group of journalists that the current system is ineffective to track a myriad of suppliers in the world's largest beef exporter. She said that we need, or I should say that Brazil needs a system that is effective and brings the security that consumers need. The minister was referring specifically to Brazil's indirect cattle suppliers, which is an industry led by farmers who pass animals to other farms while they're still growing and before they are sent to the slaughterhouse. Because there is often no information on the properties where these animals have passed through, Brazil cannot ensure that all laws were followed. Well, Ashton, before we head into chat markets today, there were, of course, a couple big headlines here I wanted to report on before we chat markets with Darren Newsom, one of which being huge exports, not huge, but additional export sales. We saw 
today announced 120,000 tons of soybeans headed to unknown destinations, as well as a 336,000 ton purchase of soybeans heading directly to China. But we are seeing extremely volatile commodity markets right now. Obviously, a lot of that is going to be due to the weather, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment with Darren Newsom. But while we're on the topic of China here, just wanted to mention really quickly that Uh, Earlier on Monday, the China Animal Agriculture Association, which is a government organization, has attempted to reassure hog farmers not to panic because we are continuing to see pork prices there in China dip pretty majorly. Live hog prices in China have fallen about 65 percent since the beginning of 2021, as, of course, we're seeing a lot of supply hit the pipeline. But farmers are not. Doing so hot, of course, as we're seeing that uh, demand somewhat raise, but mostly just an influx of supplies. But the government, of course, is going to have to step in at some point if we don't see those prices adjust. They're a communist government. They can do that. But for now, they're just trying to tamp down fears amongst farmers and hopefully let the market sort itself out. Well, Delaney, while we're on the topic of markets, I just have one more thing before we head in to actually chat where markets ended today. CME Group is set to launch a nature-based global emissions offset futures contract on August 1st to help bring in more transparency to the growing global voluntary carbon offset market. Nature-based offsets can be generated through schemes such as planting trees ag projects, or protecting forests that would otherwise be destroyed. Currently, carbon offsets mostly trade in a voluntary market, often on a project-by-project basis, but it sounds like new things are coming, and they're coming soon. Yeah, I saw this piece of news as well. I'm not entirely sure I understand how this market is going to work quite yet because it is an offset market, but it's going to be interesting here to see how the CME group handles this. And this is not the first time they've done something like this. They did that with the water futures market, but yeah, definitely an interesting one. That's for sure. Well, Delaney, that was my final piece of news for today. So how about we jump into the markets? Absolutely, Ashton. Let's do that because we had some volatility today in the markets. I know that comes as no surprise to folks, but we did, of course, see some rain across the Midwest here. Scattered spurts of rain, really, I should say. And that played out into today's commodity prices. July corn closed up five, four cents to end at six fifty nine and a quarter. Dece down nine and a quarter cent to close at five fifty seven. Even in the soybean pits, the July contract up nineteen cents today to close at fourteen fifteen. The November up six and a quarter cent to close at thirteen nineteen and a quarter. In the wheat pits today, Chicago contract. July Chicago contract down a penny and a half to close at 661 and a half. The September down three quarters of a cent to close at 665. And hopping over to take a look at the cattle markets today, we saw some weakness across the live cattle complex as the August contract shed 52 and a half cents to close at 12102 and a half. The October down 30 to close at 126.65. Feeder cattle, however, today found some strength as they are continuing to push back up towards the highs we set earlier this year with the August contract adding seven and a half cents to close at 155.10. The September up 15 cents to close at 155. 57.37 and a half. And hopping over down into the lean hog 
markets today, we saw red as the July contract shed $1.62 and a half to close at 107.05. The August down $3 to close at 103.67 and a half. And wrapping things up here with our class three dairy milk futures weakness today is a July contract shed 24 cents to close at 16.48. The August down 25 cents to close at 16.97. Without further ado, Ashton, let's turn it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Market Monday discussion, we are joined by Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, thanks so much for joining today. Oh, good to be back. Thanks for having me on again, lady. Absolutely, Darren. We've got to talk quite a few different things here today, but obviously the biggest one we've got to talk about is weather. Tell me a little bit about how much the market is currently factoring weather, because it seems like we get even a promise of rain in the forecast or we get actually rain in the forecast and we see markets uh, react pretty negatively to the downside. Then we see forecasts of hot and dry and markets rally. Where are we at here? Yeah, you know, it just goes back to something I've said for a long time, and that is ag futures at their core are weather derivatives. If you want to trade the weather, you just trade ag futures. You just figure out which ones you want to trade, and that's what you do. And and, and you're right. They, right now, they're, they're swinging back and forth um, on, uh, on the latest forecast that come out. You know, we, we get at least, what, three, four, five, whatever it is, uh, uh, forecast updates uh, every day. So... You know, there's, there's, it's always been this way. It's just amplified now because so much of it is built into the algorithms. You know, they're looking for certain things. They're looking for certain words and forecasts, certain, you know, equations and so on. And so we get these, we get these triggers. And, uh, you know, last week was certainly a great example of what can happen um, really with outside of the realm of weather. But then once we turn the attention back to weather, it's, you know, it's just right back to the up, down, and across in every which way. Yeah, it certainly seems to be that way. And it's also creating a lot of market volatility. We had a crazy yeah. day last week on Thursday when markets sold off really hard. We've thankfully recovered yeah. some of those on Friday. But Darren, what was going on that day? All right, the biggest, you know, you mentioned volatility, and that's very important because when when we see elevated volatility like what we have right now, it's generally, not always, but generally a reflection of increased non-commercial activity. And it's something I've talked about, you and I have talked about for a long time, the two different sides of the market, the non-commercial and the commercial side. Non-commercial is the law is the large investment, you know, global investment group. Usually anymore it's just driven by by algorithms. And so the more they're trading, the higher the volatility, the wider the price swings and all that. And you're right, Thursday we saw corn go limit down. We saw soybeans go down well over a dollar. And then on Friday, soybeans bounced back 60 cents and soy and corn erased all but six or seven cents of its loss. So there's been a lot of volatility. So what's interesting is that we can kind of track who's doing what by watching the future spread. So we know the commercial side by watching these spreads, just kind of sitting back right now, allowing the non-commercials to move these markets all over the place. So you know, you ask what's going on right now, it looks to be predominantly non-commercial driven. We have had some commercial selling as the rains fall, as the actual rains fall. We've seen some commercial selling. We've seen the July, DEES 2021, July 2022 forward curve in corn 
So I've seen it's carry strengthen a little bit. It's still bullish, still at a bullish level, but we've seen that carry strengthen. On the other side of the coin, the Nov 21, July 22 soybean forward curve has seen its carry cut, for, it's seen its inverse cut from 65 cents down to nine and a half cents last Friday. So everything's still bullish. The big picture is fundamentally both new crop corn, new crop soybeans are still bullish. They're not just at, they're just not as bullish as they used to be. Because we have seen some range. We're not out of the wood, you know, we're not out of the woods on these markets at all. There's still zero margin for error in soybeans and only slightly more margin for error in corn. But it's just not as bullish as it was before. And in the meantime, you've got the investment side, the algorithm side just, you know, going crazy at this point with each and every forecast that comes out. Mm-hmm. And Darren, you mentioned we're still bullish at the this point in time, but when do we see bulls or bears really take control of the ship here in the grain markets? You know, if you know, it, it's still relatively early, quote unquote, early in the summer. Uh, we have finally made it to late in June. You know, if we get into say the first ten days of July, and all of a sudden we're hot and dry again, then I think. You know, that's going to fuel renewed non-commercial buying because, you know, week in and week out, what we're seeing right now is the non-commercial net long futures position. If we look at if we look at the CFTC commitments, trades report, if we watch those, we're seeing that group continue to liquidate their position. They just don't feel the need to hold their large corn when it's up around six, seven dollars. So they're getting out of it. But if we go into another hot, dry period in early July, then I think that money comes back in and and still in the background are these uh, enhanced, not enhanced, but enlarged trading positions that they're going to be allowed to hold when CME increased their position limits, you know, back this winter when they said, you know, basically double the size of contracts these, these investment funds could hold. That's still, that's still a possibility. So, you know, once we get, into July, once we start to see if it's going to turn hot and dry again, and, and the funds have all this room that they could add to positions, this stuff could still go haywire, particularly if the forward curves are still bullish. So, I mean, there's a lot left to play out. It's just going to take another hot, dry period, not in June, more in July, possibly even as late as August for the, for the, for, you know, the investment side of these markets to really get interested. And Darren, let's say we do continue to have some weather concerns here into July, August, maybe even into September. What's the Darren Newsome forecast for our new crop corn and sweeping high here? Hundred dollars each. Hundred dollars. Hundred dollars a bushel each. No, that's not serious. <laughs> really? <laughs> There's no way of telling. There's abs- and, and I love the people who are out here making projections. Oh, $30 soybeans, you know, $10 corn, whatever it might be. There's no way of knowing. It's impossible because it all depends on how much money comes into the market. Do we shut down demand? There's no way of telling how high this thing could go. What happens to the cash market? What happens to basis? All of these are unknown. So there, there's, you can't make, a, you know, you can't make a wild, uh, I'll leave off the second part of that, but just leave it at wild guess, um, you know, because that's really all they're doing. And they're saying these things to get people excited. You know, let's, let's not do that. Let's just say right now, long-term fundamentals are still bullish. And if there's any problem, again, there's just no wiggle room in soybeans, little wiggle room 
boom and corn. And this could be very explosive as the summer goes along. Is there any wiggle room when we look at the wheat market? And I know that there's, of course, a couple of different contracts and types of wheat here, but what's mm-hmm. the overview here for wheat? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, we've got three classes, uh, three major classes. There's all kinds of classes of wheat, different types of wheat. And they're all, they're each one showing us something different. You know, the focus recently has been on spring wheat because of the dryness across the Northern Plains. Well, you know, the September, December future spread very bullish for Minneapolis market. In fact, it's gone inverted as well, very similar to what we see in soybeans. Meanwhile, we've seen the Chicago Stafford winter market lose some of its bullish edge. It's sitting more in a neutral territory. Those spreads trending down a little bit. And we've seen Kansas City hard red winter spreads actually go bearish. The July, September wheat's built up enough carry now that we could actually classify it as bearish. Now, that's not a surprise. We've got hard red winter harvest going along. It's moving you know, it's expanding across the southern plains. What I'm hearing, yields are better than average. I'll just leave it at that. Some of them are much better than average. But here's the interesting thing. You know, I've been watching basis closely, and corn basis has been weakening despite the fact we don't have many supplies left. Uh, and hard red winter basis has been strengthening this or holding firm despite the fact we've got all this new newly harvested bushels come in. We're hearing more about feed, uh, wheat feeding, actual wheat feeding, not just in theory, but in the feed yards across the Southern Plains, because corn was in such tight supply, you're starting to see hard red winter wheat go into the ration. So that's put an extra demand for hard red winter wheat, keeping this floor of buying underneath the basis market. Meanwhile, allowing corn, it's losing some of that support from the feed, uh, from feed demand that it held all winter and uh, all winter and spring. And when you say, tell me a little bit more about we're actually seeing wheat now being used as a feed source as opposed to just rumors about it. Yeah, it's, you know, I've I've been visiting with some folks down in the southwest corner of Kansas. So, you know, as we look down the southern plains, the largest feed area in the United States, there, the rations down in that area, I'm not going to say for every feed yard, but for a number of feed yards in that area, we've actually seen the rations roll over into wheat. And they're going to stay there for a while because it's not something you just, you know, you, you know, you switch to wheat, then you switch back to corn. Wheat. It just doesn't work that way. And everyone always talks about it, talks about it working that way. That's just not how it happens. Once they made, once the feed yards and, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma and so on made the decision to roll to wheat as, as the main component of its feed, it's going to stick with it for a while. So that's going to keep that floor of demand underneath the hardware winter market and provide support to that uh, to the basis market which has been which has been fascinating to watch play out here over the last couple of weeks as combines really start to roll across the area. Mhm. Darren, since you're mentioning uh, cattle producers down there in that Kansas area, what are you hearing from cattle producers as far as margins go? Because we're still seeing live cattle and feeder cattle both push up. You know, we haven't put in new contracts highs, but we are pushing back up towards that contract high of like, what was it, 162, something like that? I guess in feeder cattle, I should say. Yeah, we've seen, you know, we saw some live contracts, post contracts, some live cattle issues push contract highs last week feeders have been a little slow to react um despite the fact we saw the the complete breakdown in corn last week what i'm hearing is there's still a lot of there's a lot of bullishness in the live cattle market basically on the idea that there's no way that they we can break the market down and 
you know, it, it has to go up. You know, as we get into the winter and next spring contracts, these things have to go up. Well, they're already sitting at pretty high levels. And, and you know, so from a technical point of view, you know, we, we saw what looked to be some topping patterns say, out in the December live cattle contract last week. And I think more importantly, again, if we if we go to the spreads, if we look at the tapes of what, you know, what the fundamentals, what the market's telling us the fundamentals are, you know, these things continue, they're, they're very bearish up front because of the number of cattle we have and so on. And it just keeps getting pushed back. You know, we, we continue to see nearby contracts losing ground to deferreds. And so now we're out to the Octis, uh, and it's you know, neutral to bearish and the DSFAB is sitting around neutral right now. But it just it's it's like a, it's like a down escalator. Once one spread goes off, it's replaced by the next, and it just follows the same pattern. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch if we can break that cycle. Because if we can, you know, that's going to again, it's going to bring another layer of of buying into the cattle market, into the deferred cattle market. But until it happens, you know, you've got this you've got this bearishness, this fundamental bearishness that the market has to continue to deal with. That's what makes it even more impressive that we have seen some contract highs the last couple of weeks. We do continue to see buying coming in long term into the cattle market. You know, to me, it's not fundamentally based, and that's always an issue. It always leaves the door open for a possible, I hate to use the word collapse, but it certainly could happen. And Darren, what about the lean hog market? Because we have definitely seen those collapse from some of the highs they put in earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lean hogs, to me, it, it, it's similar to what we've seen in lumber, where we pushed so high, and, and I like to call it more of a vacuum trade. It left this, it left this huge vacuum underneath the market. I mean, when a market goes straight up, there's not a lot of support for it to come back to. And so you know, we saw that play out in lean hogs, and then all of a sudden, you know, we hit new contract highs. Everything is just bubbling. It's frothing over. And then the commercial traders start selling. There's no reason for commercial traders to continue to buy. Once they start selling, then the non-commercial side starts liquidating their recently purchased long positions. And then you've got a collapse on your hands. And then, so that's, that's what's playing. That's what looks to be playing out right now in lean hogs. And, and, you know, what concerns me the most is that we continue to see nearby contracts losing ground to deferred. That means we've got commercial selling coming into the market. Um, and so that, you know, it just, to me, it accelerates the problem, not the problem, sell-off uh, that's occurring, you know, usually tends to occur based on, on non-commercial liquidation. But when you get that commercial selling adding to it, meaning the fundamentals aren't as bullish as they were before, again, that just that just pushes it faster, farther and faster than it probably would have moved. Absolutely. Darren, before I let you go, if folks want to read some of your analysis, hear what you're saying, how can they find you? Easiest way to find me is uh, go to DarrenNewsom.com. There you go to the website and then you can uh, pull up the services page and sign up for the seven day free trial. And then you can go back and search everything we've written over the years. Uh, keep up to date with you know, what we've recently posted, all the things that we're talking about, the charts and studies and all that that, we've, uh, that we're looking at right now. Uh, and see what you like, see what you agree with, see what you don't agree with. And, uh, and then we could certainly go from there. Fantastic. Well, Darren, thanks for coming on and chatting markets today. Certainly appreciate it. Uh, Again, thanks for having me on again, Delaney. I always enjoy it. Thanks again there to Darren Newsom for coming on and chatting markets with us. Always good to have him on. 
Absolutely. It certainly is. Ashton, he's always watching some interesting things there that aren't always things that I'm watching, but it's great to have him on today and chat markets. Well, folks, we will be featuring some great stuff aside from our conversation with Darren later in the week. So you'll have to tune in at agnewsdaily.com to catch up with us every day this week. But with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.